welcome everyone to Citizens Climate Lobbies training this evening. It's a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, CCL's Vice President of Programs, and tonight's topic is comparing the new carbon border adjustment and tariff bills. Senate Republicans in November introduced the Foreign Pollution Fee Act to impose a carbon tariff on certain imported goods. We know also that congressional Democrats follow this with a December introduction of the Clean Competition Act to establish a similar carbon border adjustment mechanism. We're going to be joined by CCL Research Coordinator Dana Nucitelli for tonight's training that's going to compare these bills as well as the Fair Transition and Competition Act border adjustment bill that congressional Democrats have previously introduced. And then we'll make sure to discuss the prospects for bipartisan agreement on pricing carbon pollution in products that are crossing U.S. borders. So to get us through tonight, let me introduce our wonderful speaker. The amazing Dana Nucitelli is an environmental scientist with degrees in astrophysics and physics, a wonderful climate journalist for of Yale Climate Connections, Skeptical Science, and The Guardian. He is the author of 10 peer-reviewed climate science papers, and we are so honored to have you here tonight, Dana. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you all for being here tonight, too. If we've done our job well, you're going to walk away with the following three learning goals. We're going to have the chance to review why carbon tariffs and border adjustments are critical to our work with climate policy. We're going to talk about how three proposed carbon tariff or CBAM bills, if you will, are similar to each other and what sets them apart. We'll also dive into what's next, what can we anticipate with these bills in this congressional session and moving forward, and if there's any connections to the advocacy work that we're doing across the rest of our carbon pricing policy agenda. So with that, thank you all so much for joining us. We're almost at 100 already. And with that, I will pass it to you, Dana. Thank you, Brent. Thanks, everybody, for joining us early in 2024. So let's do a quick review of where we're at with these carbon tariffs and border adjustments. You guys might recall that in June of 2022, a while back, we did this push asking our volunteers with Republican representatives to ask them to look into uh, pricing carbon in imported goods into CBAMs and carbon tariffs. And they did just that. And so now both parties have introduced bills uh, to price that extra carbon content from stuff that we import into our country, as uh, Brett mentioned there. So we're going to review the bills that have been introduced tonight. Um, this is just kind of to learn about this stuff. Uh, we're not currently engaging in any action on CBAMs or carbon tariffs uh, at the moment, but we want to be educated and prepared for when that day might possibly come in the future. So let's start by defining our terms here. So first we got carbon border adjustment mechanisms, CBAMs. Those are adjusting for the difference in carbon prices domestically and in other countries. Um, so not super relevant to the United States because we don't yet have a domestic carbon price here. Although of course we at CCL are advocating for that and building the political will, will to make that happen at some point. Uh, but we don't yet. Um, so CBAMs can also put a price on the extra carbon content of high carbon intensity products that are being imported. So it can take into consideration both the differences in carbon prices and the differences in carbon content between uh, the countries that are importing stuff to our country and uh, the, the uh, manufacturing in our own country. 
And uh, another thing that CBAMs can do is potentially refund the carbon fee if um, so we have a, if we had a carbon price in our country and we were exporting products to a country without a carbon price, then we could refund that carbon fee so that they're operating on equal footing in the market that they are being uh, that products are being exported to. So the border adjustment is basically at the border as we're importing or potentially exporting products, we're adjusting the carbon price so that everybody's on the same playing field. And then a carbon tariff is just looking at basically the amount of carbon in embedded in the product that is being imported and looking at comparing that to the amount of carbon in an equivalent product made in the United States. And if that imported product has more carbon, then we put a price on that extra carbon. And it doesn't have to have any kind of domestic carbon price or anything like that. We're just taking into consideration the different amount of carbon in imported products versus domestic products and making them pay for that extra carbon if they have it. So uh, we had one of our fall research interns, Liam Cooper, pictured here, um, did a little research paper for us looking into what peer-reviewed literature says about uh, the effects of CBAMs, and specifically in most cases uh, the European Union's CBAM because they're kind of the first ones in line putting a CBAM into place. And so you got a link there um, where you can find his paper and it's also posted on the Nerd Corner. And so what Liam found is that pricing uh, carbon on imported products that have higher carbon content would slightly boost uh, domestic industries because those domestic industries have lower carbon. And so if you're putting a price on higher carbon imports, that is encouraging people to buy uh, those low carbon domestic products. And so that boosts those industries uh, and boosts the economy a little bit as well because those industries are selling more stuff. It also encourages investment in energy efficiency and clean energy technologies and incentivizes further carbon standards um, because you're trying to, those domestic industries are trying to create an even larger carbon advantage to take advantage of that CBAM or carbon tariff. And so it incentivizes a reduction in emissions, which is good. That's what we like to see. Uh, then there's this question, we call it carbon leakage, which is when country or uh, businesses that are in countries that have uh, like a high domestic carbon price or stringent um, climate regulations will shift their manufacturing overseas uh, to a country without those kinds of regulations or carbon prices, things that increase their costs. So to reduce their manufacturing costs, they'll ship it to another country. And so then your carbon emissions are kind of leaking out to other countries. And so uh, there's been research to see if a CBAM would reduce that. And uh, papers generally agree that it would be modestly effective at reducing that carbon leakage because, again, by putting that price on those imports, you're giving a little bit more of an advantage to domestic manufacturing. And so you get more companies keeping their manufacturing in country. And so that's also good because then you're not worrying about just you know exporting our carbon to other countries. One challenge is that uh, a CBAM or carbon tariff can adversely affect developing countries' economies because developing countries tend to have relatively high carbon intensity manufacturing. Um, but on the other hand, they are not the ones who are responsible for causing the climate crisis. They are generally very low emitting uh, countries. And uh, so we're trying, we would like to ideally not punish them and adversely impact their economies. Uh, in the process, uh, process of trying to do these climate solutions. And so 
legislation generally puts measures into place to try to avoid this adverse impact on developing economies, as we'll see when we look at the specifics of each of these bills that have been introduced in the United States. And so there's a couple things we're trying to do with CBAMs or carbon tariffs. Um, one reason that a lot of people are interested in this is because US products are generally lower carbon intensity than the global average. We have relatively low carbon manufacturing, uh, about 40% less than the global average, according to the Climate Leadership Council's analysis. And 75% of the stuff that we import comes from less carbon efficient countries. Um, so if we would put a price on that extra carbon of those dirtier imports, that would give uh, more of an advantage to our low carbon domestic industries. And so again, it would encourage people to buy made in America, low carbon stuff. And so it's going to benefit our domestic industries. And it's also going to somewhat reduce emissions because people are going to be buying more often the low carbon products. So those are kind of the two benefits is more domestic made in America buying of stuff and lower carbon of the stuff we buy. And so there's a few reasons that US industries are relatively low carbon, even though we don't have a domestic carbon price in place yet, we do have strong environmental and some pretty good climate regulations. We have efficient and advanced manufacturing uh, we also have relatively clean power generation for the parts of manufacturing that requires electricity. Um, so those tend to result in lower carbon products. Uh, they also tend to add costs, especially those compliance with those environmental climate regulations uh, compared to uh, other countries that don't have to comply with those kinds of regulations. And so that's where we're trying to adjust for and uh, level the playing field for. Uh, so a good example I like to use is steel, uh, which can basically be made one of two ways. Uh, you can either take scrap steel and melt it down in an electric arc furnace, and that is a relatively low carbon way of making steel. Or you can make it from scratch, uh, taking iron ore and melting it down, generally using coal. So that is your higher carbon way of making steel. And globally, 30% uh, of the steel is made with the low carbon method. And in the United States, two thirds of our steel is made with the low carbon method. And so in the United States, our steel uh, production is much lower carbon content than a lot of our foreign competitors. And so again, if we were to put that price on the extra carbon of the imports, then it would encourage people to buy the low carbon American made steel. Um, a couple of caveats uh, for this example, there is only so much scrap steel available and so we couldn't make all the steel we need in the world with the cleaner method. But if we were to encourage lower carbon steel by putting this price on the extra carbon content of imported steel, that would encourage um, steel makers to decarbonize. And so, for example, we could find ways to replace the coal with something like green hydrogen uh, that would make that other method of making steel uh, more climate friendly. And so that's what we're trying to do, of course, when anytime we're putting a price on carbon is to encourage and incentivize uh, lower carbon ways of doing things. Uh, so this is a chart from the Climate Leadership Council, a report they put together looking at various different industries you can see here. Uh, and we're looking at different countries. And if it's uh, each box fits red and the number is above one, that means that country's industry is higher carbon than the US equivalent. Uh, blue is lower carbon than the US equivalent and white is, is the same. Uh, so you can see some of these countries like China, uh, Russia, India, and the rest of the world um, in almost every case are higher carbon than the United States equivalent industries. 
Uh, some other countries like the European Union, uh, Canada, and Mexico are generally on par with the United States. And our friends at Niskanen did a similar analysis. Uh, they found that our neighbors, Canada and Mexico, and also South Korea are on par uh, with the carbon intensity of their manufacturing, uh, about the same as the United States. Uh, they found that the European Union and the UK and also Japan are generally a little bit lower, um, which basically means those countries, when they import stuff into the United States, or when we import their stuff, they're not going to have to pay any kind of carbon tariff or carbon border adjustment because they're already equal to or lower carbon than the U.S. equivalent. Uh, but the countries that are worse, China, Russia, India, and the rest of the world, uh, would have to pay a carbon tariff for their extra carbon content of their stuff that they're importing into our country. And we've already got some CBAMs on the way. The European Union is in the process of developing theirs, and it will go into effect in 2026. The UK is one year behind them, going into effect in 2027. Uh, their CBAMs are very similar. They will cover iron and steel, cement, aluminum, fertilizer, hydrogen, and a couple of other things. Uh, they will both account for the carbon price in their countries and the importing exporting countries and also the amount of carbon in the products in the uh, countries, uh, both their own countries and importing exporting countries. Japan is also putting a CBAM into effect, although only on fossil fuels. Uh, and then Canada is considering doing a CBAM. It would make sense for them because they have a very robust carbon price. Um, and so it just makes sense with the EU and the UK uh, moving forward. It makes sense for Canada to follow their lead, and they may very well do a similar CBAM uh, to the example set by the EU. So with all these other countries moving forward doing CBAMs, you know, we don't want to be left behind. And so that's why we're seeing all of these pieces of legislation. The first one we saw was called the Fair, Affordable, Innovative, and Resilient Transition in Competition Act, which I'm just going to call the FAIR Act. Uh, it was introduced in July of 2021 uh, by Senator Coons in the Senate and Representative Peters in the House. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's not exactly a carbon tariff or border adjustment, but it takes into consideration the various environmental and climate regulations that U.S. companies have to comply with and basically tries to estimate the costs of complying with those regulations because that is how we reduce our emissions because we don't have a carbon price. So it tries to estimate those costs and apply those costs to imports. So we'll look at the look at that in more detail here in the coming slides. Um, this bill was basically an effort to gauge Republican interest in carbon tariffs and CBAMs. Uh, it was constructed in a way to kind of be uh, of interest to Republicans. Um, it has not been reintroduced in the current session of Congress, and we don't, uh, from what we understand, they're not planning to reintroduce it. Um, that's probably because the Foreign Pollution Fee Act was introduced in this session a couple months ago in November by Republican Senators Cassidy and Graham. It is uh, Senate Bill 3198, and it is a carbon tariff bill. And again, we'll look at the details as we compare the bills against each other here in a few minutes. Um, one interesting tidbit was that in uh, his materials communicating about what the Foreign Pollution Fee Act is, Senator Cassidy also said that permitting reform is a complementary piece to the foreign pollution fee uh, because the fee shifts manufacturing and supply chains to cleaner producers like those in the United States. 
And so to capitalize on that realignment, the U.S. needs perming reform so that we can produce more of that low carbon stuff to meet the increased demand for it. Um, so it was really great to see uh, Senator Cassidy kind of checking two of our policy area boxes, talking about putting a price on foreign carbon pollution and also the need for permitting reform. And then the third bill we're going to look at tonight is the Clean Competition Act, first introduced in June of 2022 by Senator Whitehouse, along with Senator Schatz, Heinrich, and Coons. And they just reintroduced that bill in December. It's Senate Bill 3422, plus uh, Representative Delbean introduced it in the House, along with Representatives Bayer, Castor, and Amibera here in my Sacramento area. That is H.R. 6622. Uh, this one is a full-fledged CBAM, Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism Bill. So let's now go through the various uh, similarities and differences between each of those three bills. We're going to start with which industries each one covers. In this table, you can see the foreign pollution fee is uh, this row, then the Clean Competition Act, and then the FAIR Act. Uh, so you can see basically they all cover some important materials, aluminum, cement, uh, iron and steel, and then a bunch of fossil fuels, crude oil, uh, natural gas, and refined petroleum products like gasoline and diesel. Um, so that's kind of where they all agree. And then there are just kind of a variety of different um, products that each one of them also covers. Um, but so basically it's like those important materials and fossil fuels and then some other stuff too. And so one question we might ask is like, how do you get more stuff covered by each of these bills and their carbon prices? So in the Foreign Pollution Fee Act, uh, it says that if half of the American producers of a given product want their product to be covered by a carbon tariff, because maybe they say, hey, our product is a low carbon product compared to our foreign competitors, so we want to be included in this. They can then petition the government to do that, and the government can consider adding their uh, product in, as a new category. In the Clean Competition Act, if you've got a relatively large product, uh, more than 500 pounds, if more than 90% of its value comes from the covered products like uh, cement, steel, aluminum, fossil fuels, then that would be included in their CBAM. And those thresholds decline over time. So over time, it will be smaller products uh, with a lower percentage of the value being covered. Uh, so that over time, basically more and more products get added. Uh, to their CBAM. And then the FAIR Act includes products that are more than 50% of those covered materials, your iron, your aluminum, uh, cement, fossil fuels, and so forth. And they also in this bill said that federal agencies can add any products they determine is in the best interests of the United States to include. So important question, what is the carbon price in each of these bills? Uh, the simplest one is the Clean Competition Act. It just says we're going to do a $55 per ton price on carbon dioxide, rising 5% per year plus inflation. Um, so there's kind of some benefits and some downsides to that. Um, it's very simple. It's very easy to explain, very straightforward. On the other hand, it's not necessarily the most like economically efficient price. Um, it's a little bit arbitrary. So you're kind of sacrificing like um, efficiency for simplicity, I would say. 
the FAIR Act, again, it looks at just the costs for U.S. industries to comply with our regulations that are designed to limit greenhouse gas emissions uh, for each of their products. And then just after we estimate that, which is a difficult thing to estimate, you have to have uh, some federal agency estimate like what it costs each, uh, each industry to comply with the regulations that govern that industry. And then we apply that to imports. Uh, so it's not exactly a carbon price, it's more like a regulatory cost price. And then the Foreign Pollution Fee Act is the most complicated one. It's got, uh, the Latin word is ad valorem, uh, which basically means the fee is proportional to the value of the product, uh, specific to the product in its emissions intensity, designed to incentivize a certain emissions reduction in that uh, product. So basically there are thousands of different potential carbon prices for different products of different carbon intensities coming from different countries. Um, so I tried to kind of convey that in table form on the right side of this slide here. Um, so here on the left column, we're looking at the difference in carbon uh, intensities, the amount of carbon uh, that it takes to make a given product between the foreign country and the United States equivalent. So let's take an example and say Chinese steel is 130% uh, more carbon intensive than American steel. So we're down here at 130%. So then um, they would have, the bill would have some scientists do some economic modeling and figure out what carbon price it would take to reduce that uh, carbon intensity of that Chinese steel from 130% more than American steel to 50% more than American steel. And that would be kind of the first phase of the foreign pollution fee and it would take the first six years and then the next six years we'll say okay we got them to 50 percent more intensive chinese steel than american steel let's change the carbon price so now we're trying to incentivize them to reduce their uh, carbon intensity of chinese steel to 25 percent more than the carbon intensity of american steel so then they do that for a few years and then they say okay we got up to 25 percent more intense than american steel Let's change the carbon price so that it's enough to incentivize Chinese steel to be less than 10% more carbon intensive than American steel. So basically on par with American steel. So there's kind of a three phases where you're changing the carbon price over time to try to gradually incentivize these foreign industries to catch up to American industries uh, low carbon intensity. So it's a very, very complicated way of doing this. The reason it does this, you can see in this quote on the left that they're trying to ensure that these goals are attained while minimizing any potential increase in domestic costs. Because if we put a high price, a high carbon price on imported steel that's got high carbon intensity, that's going to increase the cost, uh, the average cost of steel being purchased in the United States. Same thing for all the different products that are being, as carbon tariff is being applied to. And so you can see the higher the carbon prices the more the increased cost is going to be for American consumers buying this stuff. And so this bill is basically saying, we want to minimize that increased cost. So we want to get the exact right carbon price for each product so that you are incentivizing this reduction in carbon with the least increased cost to American consumers. So as a nerd, I really, uh, appreciate how nerdy this approach is. They're basically then telling scientists do a bunch of economic modeling to figure out exactly what these prices should be to accomplish these goals. So it's a very like nerdy way of doing it. Um, I would say the downside is that this is very, very complicated. It's also 
um very very trying to be very very precise you can see like each five to ten percent increment of more pollution than the united states gets a different carbon price which i really don't think economic modeling is that precise there's a lot of uncertainty in economic modeling so i think it might be trying to be a little bit too uh efficient for its for its britches and the downside also of being this complicated is that it's hard to explain. This is why it's been taking me a couple minutes to try to explain this slide. Um, also, for example, Senator Kramer, uh, another Republican senator, he wants to support carbon tariffs, but he is not a co-sponsor on this bill because he said, it's too complicated. I can't explain this to my constituents. And if I can't explain it to my constituents, I'm not going to be a co-sponsor of it. So this one is kind of sacrificing simplicity for very trying to be very efficient and so that's your trade-off and trying to figure out what the carbon pricing structure would be should it be simpler should it be more complex or harder to explain but more efficient and so you know that's kind of the trade-off and figuring out how to structure the carbon price in each of these bills so then we have to figure out how to calculate the carbon intensity of these products in each different country so in the foreign pollution fee act it would have uh basically just take the average of the uh, industry in each country. So for example, you're taking the average carbon intensity of all of the steel made in China, and that gets one uh, carbon price, basically. It does allow for facilities. If a facility says, I'm making steel in China, I am below uh, the uh, amount of carbon on average in my country, so I want a specific intensity calculated for my facility. You can apply for that, but it's got very strict conditions in the Foreign Pollution Fee Act. Um, you have to basically be meeting the equivalent of the U.S. Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act. Uh, you have to install monitoring equipment and make the data accessible to American regulators and allow for American inspections. Um, so it's very, very strict. Um, I'm not sure how many um, facilities would actually apply for that given how strict it is, but the option is there. The Clean Competition Act is very similar. Again, you just take the average of the country of origins uh, industry's carbon intensity. It also allows for entities to petition for a good specific carbon intensity. Again, if they say my stuff is lower carbon than my national average, they can say, hey, give me a specific calculation so that I can pay less of a carbon price. Uh, and it doesn't have the stringent uh, strict conditions that the Foreign Pollution Fee Act has. And then the FAIR Act, it doesn't actually have to calculate carbon intensity because, again, it's not putting a price on carbon. It's putting a price on the regulatory costs of complying with U.S. regulations. And so that's actually not a relevant question for the FAIR Act. And then we have to calculate what we call the baseline, which is the average uh, carbon content of our U.S. industry because we're trying to compare the foreign industries to the U.S. industries to see if they are higher carbon than our industries. So that's your baseline. And so to do that, the Foreign Pollution Fee Act would set up an advisory board uh, from our national laboratories uh, with the scientists there and have them calculate the average emissions intensity for each industry product in the United States. The Clean Competition Act, again, very similar, but it would have the Treasury Department do that calculation. Uh, and one other nuance is that once you set that baseline and say this is, for example, the amount of carbon in average American steel, that's your baseline, that baseline shrinks every year to encourage every uh, industry to reduce their emissions over time. 
And then the FAIR Act, again, they're not actually looking at carbon contents. Uh, they're looking at those regulatory costs, and so they don't have to calculate a baseline for that bill. It's just applying the same cost to all imports uh, that don't have uh, U.S. similar regulations. So we could also skip that step if we were to pass the Prove It Act, uh, which you guys may remember we uh, advocated for, I think it was last September, uh, which the Prove It Act would direct the Department of Energy to estimate the carbon content of various domestic and foreign industries, um, which is basically what that last slide was doing. Um, so those bills, since the Prove It Act has not been passed, they have to include these a way to do these calculations. Um, but if we were just to have the Prove It Act passed, then they could skip that step and worry about the rest of the details and not have to worry about who's going to do these calculations. It's going to be the National Labs or the Treasury Department, like the Department of Energy would just be doing it already. And then the question, does it impose a domestic carbon price? The Foreign Pollution Fee Act does not. In fact, it specifically says nothing in the Act shall be construed to authorize the creation of any carbon tax, fee, pricing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they put that wording in there basically to try to make space for fellow Republicans to feel comfortable coming on board and co-sponsoring the bill. Um, because as we know, we have long been advocating for a domestic carbon price, but uh, most Republicans are not ready for that yet. And so, you know, at least if they're willing to put a price on the carbon content of imports, that is a step in the right direction. So even though they say we're not going to do a domestic carbon price, we'll still think uh, this bill is a step in the right direction because it would still reduce emissions. The Clean Competition Act does have a domestic carbon price. In fact, it applies the same $55 per ton carbon fee, both to products being imported and to our domestic industries. Um, and also if our domestic industries, if they were uh, paying that $55 per ton carbon fee, exporting to a country that doesn't have a carbon fee, that, uh, that $55 per ton tax would be rebated uh, when they export their products. So again, this is like a full-blown carbon border adjustment. You put the price on imports and then you refund it on exports, uh, basically trying to even the playing field to which in whichever market uh, the product is being sold in. And the FAIR Act uh, does not impose a domestic carbon price. It's only applying that regulatory compliance cost to imports. Um, again, it's trying to appeal, or it was trying to appeal to Republicans, um, so just applied to imports without a domestic carbon price. And so if you put a price on these, uh, the extra carbon of these imports, you're going to get some revenue, and then what do you do with that revenue? The Clean Competition Act takes three quarters of it, puts it in a grant program to help U.S. companies decarbonize, and then the other quarter goes to helping developing countries decarbonize. Uh, the FAIR Act sends half of it to a, a grant program to help communities become more resilient to climate change impacts. And the other half goes to research to uh, reduce emissions in various uh, important technologies. Uh, the Foreign Pollution Fee Act doesn't actually specify where its revenue is going to go, which basically just means it defaults to go to the US Treasury uh, so we actually think the Foreign Pollution Fee Act would be improved it would, if it would specify what it wants to do with that revenue. Um, so that's one way that uh, we could improve that bill. And then there are some exemptions to these carbon prices in each bill. So the Clean Competition Act exempts relatively least developed nations. Again, we talked about at the beginning. Uh, we would prefer not to uh, damage the economies of developing nations that 
are not responsible for the problem, but have relatively high carbon intensity products, but they also don't have a whole lot of exports. So it's uh, a relatively small amount of emissions. Um, so they get exempted in this act so that we're not damaging their economies. Uh, also, of course, countries with a similar price, if they have something close to a $55 per ton carbon price, uh, then they're already on equal footing. And so they would be exempted because they're already paying that same price in their own country. Uh, and the FAIR Act, very similar, least developed countries uh, would be exempted for the same reason. So we don't uh, adversely impact their economies. Um, also countries that have laws and regulations similar to ours and don't impose a CBAM on us. So in that case, they're thoroughly paying the regulatory costs in their own country. They're on the same, again, same footing, equal playing field as us. So then they get exempted from uh, the FAIR Act's uh, carbon regulation tariffs. In the Foreign Pollution Fee Act, if a country has a free trade agreement with us, or if they make a partnership with us, they get a 50% carbon intensity difference forgiveness. Um, so if you think back to that table that I showed, uh, so let's just say, for example, uh, we've, if we have an agreement with South Africa and South African steel, let's say, is 80% more carbon intensive than American steel. So then you, because they have this partnership with us, you would subtract 50% from that. And instead of getting a carbon price uh, equivalent to if they had an 80% more intensive carbon intensive steel, we would give them a, a carbon price as if they had a 30% more carbon intensive steel than U.S. steel. So basically you're forgiving 50% of their extra carbon intensity. Um, this is um, intended mostly for lower income countries because again, Senator Cassidy doesn't want to be harming the economies of developing countries. And so basically they're encouraged to become to with, uh, come into a partnership with the United States so they can get this forgiveness. And they would probably still have to pay uh, some kind of carbon tariff unless they're less than 50% more carbon intensive than the American equivalent. But at least it will be a smaller carbon tariff and it'll be easier for them to get to that 50% uh, threshold and then not have to pay the carbon tariff. So those are the bills. Right now we have the Foreign Pollution Fee and the Clean Competition Act uh, introduced in Congress. Um, and so now the next step is that the two parties are going to have to discuss what a bipartisan compromise could look like. It'll probably look somewhat similar to the Foreign Pollution Fee, at least in terms of not having a domestic carbon price, because again, we have to get Republicans on board. That's where Republicans are right now. Um, I should also note that uh, CCL, of course, we will continue advocating for a domestic carbon price. And in fact, we have the Energy Innovation Act that has a domestic carbon price and a CBAM. So that's kind of the way we're, ad we're advocating for both is to continue ad advocating for Congress to pass the Energy Innovation Act. But in the meantime, if Congress would pass the foreign pollution fee or something similar to it, that could still be a step in the right direction in terms of putting a price at least on uh, imported carbon and reducing emissions. There is some time pressure here because the EU and the UK are moving forward pretty quickly with their CBAMs, so we don't want to be left in their dust. And so passing the Prove It Act uh, relatively soon would be a smart start so that we can get the Department of Energy doing these calculations to figure out what the different industries and different countries' carbon intensities look like. And while that's happening, then we can iron out these details of you know, what should the carbon price structure look like, who should be exempted, what should we do with the revenue, all those uh, things that we disagree about. We can uh, resolve those, but at least get you know the Department of Energy doing these initial calculations so that we don't fall behind while the EU and the UK are doing the calculations 
like we want to be doing something equivalent so that we're not relying on their calculations, for example. So hopefully we can get the Prove It Act passed uh, relatively soon. Thank you so much, Dana. And uh, we'll just put a reminder again for the Nerd Corner, as well as Dana's contact information. If there's anything that uh, you wanted to make sure to engage, we always encourage a robust discussion. As I know, looking around the room, there's some frequent flyers that are helping make that possible already on the Nerd Corner, cclusa.org forward slash nerd corner. But before anything else, just a huge round of applause for your work, Dana. I know that I found this incredibly helpful tonight and useful, and I really appreciate all of the time that you put into the preparations for this and obviously um, celebrate all of you being here tonight. It's so good to see 100 plus friends on the line. And thank you again for all that you do with your work with CCL. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Thanks, Dana. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.